Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Cara, acne can be tough. Whether your kid is just starting to get breakouts or has been struggling with them for years, there's a great product that can help. Phyla is the ultimate game changer. It tackles acne right at its root cause, rebalancing the skin's bacteria and packing it with probiotic phages. Phyla harnesses the superpowers of probiotics, tiny warriors targeting and wiping out the acne-causing bacteria. In studies, Phyla slashed acne-causing bacteria by a whopping 90%. Phyla doesn't just fix acne you can see. It stops new breakouts in their tracks. It has no harsh chemicals and won't irritate or dry most skin. Phyla's three-step system is like a dermatologist-approved magic potion. Cleanse, apply serum, and moisturize twice a day. As a special treat for our listeners, you can grab 25% off your first order of Phyla. Head over to phylabiotics.com, enter code PUBERTY at checkout, and kickstart your family's journey to acne-free skin. Check out the link in our show notes for quick access. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Kara Natterson. And I'm Vanessa Kroll Bennett. Each week, we dive into the what and how of raising kids through puberty, that roller coaster of physical and emotional shifts for kids and parents alike. Combining reliable science and relatable parenting strategies, we will all learn about, laugh about, and yes, maybe even cry about adolescence, ours and theirs. We often hear from parents who want to know about puberty. What comes first? What's the order? What are the topics to cover? And the really hard thing about puberty which we seem to say on every single episode of the Puberty Podcast, is that there is no single path through puberty. There is not a single timeline or order of how things are going to go. There is not a ladder composed of rungs that fit into a predictable pattern. There need to be many different routes up the ladder. Or even better, imagine this that guiding your kid through puberty is more like facing a rock climbing wall where there are tons and tons of footholds scattered all over the face of the rock in all different colors. Some are for feet and some are for hands. Some are easily within reach and some are too far to get to right now. But you might get to them later. So too is guiding kids in all these developments and conversations around puberty. There are things we must cover before we can go any higher on the wall, and there are things we will get to at some point when we have the energy and the strength. Today's episode is about the order of operations. What are the different ways up the wall? 
what is the different order of experiences and developments for kids during puberty? So, Cara, where do we have to start in these conversations about puberty with kids? What is the foothold that we need to get to first before we can go anywhere else? So you're on the floor in front of the climbing. (laughs) I'm loving the analogy. You're on the floor in front of the climbing wall. And the very first step is a promise to yourself that you will use the correct lingo, that you will use anatomical vocabulary. And the reason why is because when parents and kids have conversations that rely upon pet names for body parts, and then kids go out of the house and try to have other conversations with their friends or hear things from other people, which they will, they get very confused. I used to keep a list in my office when I was seeing kids in the office. I used to keep a list of all the different names for genitals. Like the nicknames. Yeah. The hoo-hoo, the, the JJ, that, you know, and it went on and on and on. And, you know, some of the names are extremely creative and very, very funny. It doesn't help when one person is talking about the hoo-ha and another person is talking about the JJ and they mean different things. Right. Right. So defining your terms means using good basic anatomical language, which my generation was taught are also bad words. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and we have to shed that. Right. 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 So these anatomical parts are not bad words. Penis is not a bad word. Testicles is not a bad word. Vagina is not a bad word. And vagina is not the thing on the outside, by the way, which we talk about endlessly and we'll keep talking about. Right. And on and on and on. And what is the thing on the outside? It's the vulva. It's the vulva, <laughs> which is a word that many adults have never uttered out loud in their lives, but we're going to encourage you to start. That's correct. So I want to add to not only can it be confusing if everyone's using different nicknames, it's also about safety, right? We know research tells us that children who know the correct anatomical terms for their bodies are less likely to be the victims of predatory behavior. And we are not in the business of scaring adults. That's not our vibe. That's not our intention. However... No, this is not the scary puberty podcast. This is not the frightening, scary puberty podcast that makes you want to crawl into a hole. This is the empowering, constructive puberty podcast. Having said that, if we know that there's research that correlates to kids knowing the names of their body parts and being less likely to be victims of predatory behavior, it's another really good reason to teach your kids those words. And also something that my colleague, Mary Pat Dratty, likes to quote Fred Rogers, a.k.a. Mr. Rogers, that which is mentionable is manageable. So if we name every part of our body, it becomes manageable, not mysterious, not elusive, not frightening, not weird, yucky, or gross. It's all part of our body. And if we don't name every part, the parts that don't get named, we may inadvertently confer shame onto those body parts. And that is the last thing we want to do to our kids is make them feel any sense of shame about their body parts. That's right. And I do wonder if there's going to be some research in the future about consent and vocabulary Mm -hmm. for the same reason that kids who are younger and can name parts tend to have some more resilience to being the victims of predators. So too, I wonder if older kids who are able to speak the names and talk about body parts 
might actually do a better job of consenting with one another in a very free and open kind of way. I don't know. I don't think there's any data. And not only that, not only consent, right? Not not only the kind of like the offense defense model that's often portrayed in sexual relationships, but also pleasure. Like if I know the name of my body parts, I am more likely to direct my partner to those parts and tell them what feels good and what doesn't feel good. And it's very hard to direct your partner to a code name, (laughs) you know. (laughs) To a secret family nickname (laughs) for your clitoris that no one else knows. Yes. Yes, it's like the secret, the secret code. And it's like, it's not scalable. (laughs) It's just not. I don't know how to unlock that door without the code. (laughs) Okay, so we know we want to use the term penis and testicles, the term vagina, the term vulva, the term clitoris. Yeah. And internal parts too. It's actually really important for kids to understand the internal reproductive organs. So, you know, the female reproductive organs being the ovaries and the fallopian tubes and the uterus and understanding what the uterine lining is and how it connects with the menstrual cycle. And it's not that a five-year-old needs to know these things, but certainly by the time a girl gets her period, it is super helpful to understand the anatomy and to understand what is going on. And there is no reason why kids who are not born with that anatomy shouldn't understand that anatomy. And by the way, boys have internal parts too. Yes, their testicles and penis hang down low, but they have, you know, their their vas deferens and all the other tubes that are connecting. They've got a, a prostate that will grow over time. It's really, really helpful for people to understand the anatomy. And just a side note, because... I have encountered many adults who themselves don't feel super confident about the names of internal or external male or female reproductive and sex organs. And that's okay. Like we all have a starting point. We all have a place where where we got to in our own education. It's never too late to learn the terms. And also it's a great opportunity to learn alongside your own kid. Like what is more empowering to a kid that their parent or their trusted adult is learning this information along with them. And by the way, they're going to pick it up faster than we will. Oh yeah. I mean, I've written books for eight to 10 year olds, right? The Care and Keeping of You and Guy Stuff. And there are drawings in there. They're really simple. Right. And I will say as a side note, when I took over the Care and Keeping of You brand and and started working on those books, one of the things that the American Girl team did was respond to a lot of the feedback they had gotten about the clitoris was not mentioned in the original diagram mm-hmm. in the American Girl books. And they had brought on a doctor and they were getting all this feedback from parents. And, you know, good for them for understanding that an eight, nine, 10 year old did not have to leapfrog that piece of anatomy, right? There's no reason it shouldn't be labeled. So it's in there now. And that's great. Yeah. I mean, I think people think, because no one talks about the clitoris. And when we run puberty workshops at Dino Girl, we were like, hey, this is your clitoris. It's actually a really cool part of your body because its only job is that it can feel nice. It's filled with nerve endings and the outside part of it is like the size of a pea. And many people may not know that the clitoris is actually much larger than what we see on the outside, that it is like a wishbone-shaped organ. And 
But it's not a bone. But it's not a bone. It's only shaped like a wishbone. And we're going to do a whole episode on how the penis, the erect penis, while called a boner, does not have a bone in it either. Right. Side note. The bones that are boneless. <laughs> so I think, you know, we started talking about clitoris and it's, you're not, by naming your child's body parts, you're not turning them into sexual deviants. No, you are not course. giving them quote unquote naughty information. You are simply telling them, all the parts of their bodies, like their elbows and their ears and their knees and their toes and their vaginas and penises. That's and right. with kids that we do our workshops with, we have to tell them your body parts, as you said, Cara, are not bad words. The right. anatomical terms are not bad words. And by the way, your parents know that you're here and we're teaching you those words and they want you to know those words. There's nothing wrong with saying those words. Now, for some parents who were raised in either a home or a, a school or a community where they were taught repeatedly that those were bad words, and this is sort of anathema yep. to them, this yep. whole conversation, I just want to say to those parents, that's, o that's okay for you to struggle with using the words. No one's asking you to just give over and quickly feel super comfy yourself. I hope that you'll practice it and you'll get better at it because it will ease the communication. And there are all these benefits. But at the end of the day, no one expects you to just drop that cloak and immediately jump into super comfortable conversation, throwing all these terms around with your kid. Some right. For some parents who are wired a certain way and were raised a certain way, this is a big leap. Yeah. We don't expect people to go running down the street screaming, vagina, 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 vagina. But what we will say is with practice comes greater comfort That's and right. greater ease. And when I work with girls, we do say, hey, anyone want to like shout vagina? Anyone want to whisper vagina? If we're on Zoom, we'll say, anyone want to put vagina in the chat? And like you can hear the comfort level and the volume and the participation increase as the workshop goes on. And we kind of like give them opportunity. So the same for adults. Yeah. yeah. And and you can, if you're that parent, you can absolutely say to your kid, this is so awkward for me. A hundred percent. Right. I mean, that in and of itself is a conversation and a teachable moment. So we're still on the floor in front of the climbing right, wall. But we're now but holding. this is step one. We're now hold, holding penises and vaginas and testicles and vulvas. <laughs> Figuratively. On our climbing belt. <laughs> Right. And we're going to we're going to get up the wall with those with those on our backs, feeling a little stronger and a little more empowered. That's right. Hey, it's Cara. We all know puberty isn't always easy. One of the trickiest pieces of the puberty puzzle is boobs. When will I get them? Why are they so tender? And why does every bra out there seem to pull, push, pad, itch, scratch or be so flimsy it doesn't do a thing. That's where Umla comes in. It's a company that makes puberty comfortable, a company I founded with my friend Julie. When our own daughters began the puberty journey, we couldn't find a decent starter bra anywhere, so we made one. It fits perfectly whether boobs are just starting to bud or they've been growing for a few years. We call it the Umbra, and it's game-changing. The Umbra is made from buttery cotton that feels like second skin, ridiculously soft, and so comfortable you'll forget you're wearing anything at all. 
Umbra's one-of-a-kind support comes from its patented layered design that creates gentle compression without any tight binding, which also means it doesn't need any bulky, awkward pads because it's built to seamlessly hide nipples and protect against those dreaded ouch moments throughout the day. Our daughters and their friends are done with puberty, but they still love and wear their Umbra's. It's why we say that the Umbra may be your first bra, but it will definitely be your favorite bra. Come say hi, look around, and find your Umbra, plus lots of other puberty info, at myoomla.com. That's M-Y-O-O-M-L-A dot com. Cara, lately I have been lying awake at night. I'm physically exhausted, but I can't sleep because my mind is so wired with everything going on between work and my family. So I've added magnesium breakthrough to my nightly routine and it actually helps calm my mind. It helps me get better sleep and I wake up feeling better rested. I'm less cranky and I'm more patient with my family and with you. Oh, I've noticed. And it's because unlike other magnesium supplements that might give one or two formulations of magnesium, Magnesium Breakthrough has seven. That's why you're sleeping so well and waking up refreshed. Now, dietary supplementation is always best, Vanessa. So that means eating your minerals and vitamins is the best way to get them in. But if you can't or you don't get enough, Magnesium Breakthrough is the way to go. It can also help digestion, though too much helps your digestion too much, which is not a good thing. It can support muscle recovery. So bye-bye, Charlie Horses. And it helps build dense bones, which is especially important for women approaching and in menopause. We have an exclusive offer for our listeners. You can go to buyoptimizers.com slash puberty, B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com slash puberty. And you can use the code PUBERTY10 during checkout to save 10%. That promo code is PUBERTY10 at buyoptimizers.com slash puberty. Your body and brain and family and business partner will thank you. Vanessa, we literally have three minutes to eat lunch every day. I am not joking. And the challenge is how to make it delicious and healthy and still fit into that tiny window. Our answer is Factors ready-to-eat meals. They have been a godsend. We throw our Factor meals in the microwave. It takes two minutes and out comes a gorgeous, fresh, never-frozen meal. We both love the tamale vegetarian one. It's delish. There's a ton of options every week. There's 60 add-ons, breakfast, snacks, beverages. I love doing the wellness shots with my kids. They think it's hilarious. And I know they're getting vitamins and minerals in their bodies. So get meals on your table or at your desk in two minutes or less. Factor meals eliminate the hassle of prepping, cooking, and cleaning. You can customize with flexibility to get as much or as little as you need, and you can press pause or reschedule depending upon your lifestyle. So to order, go to factormeals.com slash puberty50 and use the code puberty50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That code is puberty50 at factormeals.com slash puberty50 to get 50% off your first box, 20% off your next box. And I am going to go do that right now because I need more factor meals in my refrigerator. 
Cara, my kids love Magic Spoon cereal, and even though it's cereal, they actually love it as a homework snack. The variety pack has four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter, and fruity is the favorite flavor in my house. Now, this pack has zero grams of sugar, between 13 and 14 grams of protein, and between four and five grams of net carbs per serving. It's made with wholesome ingredients, no artificial flavors or dyes, and it's high in protein, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. So a great choice, Vanessa. You can go to magicspoon.com slash puberty to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our, you guessed it, promo code puberty at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident you're going to love their product. It's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money. No questions asked. They do not want you to send their cereal back to them. Try a bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com slash puberty and use the code puberty to save $5. You know those things we do all day, every day as people that we're not even paying attention to? But once we do pay attention, they're kind of ridiculous and hilarious. That's what we look at on my new podcast series, Social Studies. I'm your host, Jenna Kingsley, writer, comic, and creator. And I promise you, this is nothing like the social studies you learned in school. And feel free to follow along on Instagram, at Jenna Kingsley. I look forward to seeing you guys soon. So what comes next? So this is the most common question I get about puberty, which is what is the order? How is it going to go? And as you said at the top, so elegantly, there is no order. Mm -hmm. There is a checklist of items, almost all of which will happen to everyone. Not 100% of all of them will happen to everyone, but the vast majority will happen to everyone. And that checklist, by and large, runs on its own timeline. It goes in its own order. And so even within a family, you can have two siblings who go through it on totally different paths. And that's normal. Yeah. The first, very first signs of puberty, and we've talked about this before, are typically, for biological females, it's typically becoming increasingly moody, meaning, you know, tears or sort of negative outbursts, but also laughing hysterically, can't stop it, these positive outbursts, right? Um, so that mood swing. And, and just remind us what the source of that moodiness is. I will, is. because it's the same source as breast budding, which is that stack of, it's, it's like a, looks like a stack of dimes. It's a little bulging tissue underneath the nipples that's super tender. Um, and the, the source of those two things is estrogen. Estrogen circulates around, it comes from your ovaries, your maturing ovaries, release estrogen. The estrogen then tells your breast to start growing, but it doesn't stop at the chin. It goes up into the brain and it changes the way that your neurons work inside your brain, especially when the estrogen is surging, when there are peaks and then there are valleys of estrogen. So those tend to be the first signs of puberty. However, many girls will get hair and you know, Vanessa, because I have beat it into your head that pubic hair and underarm hair are actually not signs of reproductive maturity being on its way, right? They are not signs of puberty. However, 
they are changes in the body that tend to happen around the same time as puberty. It's called adrenarche, and those are the adrenal hormones, the adrenal androgens that come and tell your armpits to sprout hair, tell your pelvis, hey, it's time uh, in the pubic region to have some hair down there. That tends to show up around the same time as estrogen starts doing its thing, but some girls and some boys will get hair first. Do parents need to feel worried if that happens first? If Andronarchy, I'm so, mispronouncing it. Adrenarchy, adrenal, R E N A R C H E, right? Nice. Okay, I'm good at spelling from my head. Good. I should have been a spelling bee. <laughs> um, do people? Do parents need to feel worried? They about don't. That? Okay. They don't need to, <laughs> but they might. Could they? Um, should they? So, any time a parent or a kid is worried about what's happening to the body, there's this incredible resource. It's your pediatrician. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have a pediatrician or a regular healthcare provider, um, it is important at this age, almost as important as when they were infants getting their initial baby care. It's really critical to connect with someone who can provide really good healthcare because when you have questions, Dr. Google is not helpful. So I just want to underline what you just said, right? Because so many of us spent tons and tons of time at our pediatrician's office when our kids were babies you know, emailing them, calling the office, asking questions. Some people even have the text numbers of their pediatricians when their kids are little. And then at this stage, when our kids are in as much of a growth spurt in every possible way, it is okay. And Cara is encouraging us to go back to our pediatricians in the same way and really use them as a resource. And here's the ultimate selling point of that. There are a hundred reasons why you want relationships with really good healthcare providers for life. But the ultimate selling point at this stage in life is that you, the parent, are not the loudest voice in your kid's head starting at about age 12. At about age 12, kids listen to their peers much more than they listen to their parents. It's not that their parents don't count. Their parents count, but a lot. But the peer influence matters tremendously. You know what else matters tremendously? Important, sort of significant adult input. Coaches, doctors, teachers, advocates for kids. Mm -hmm. Those voices are very loud. So I'm a pediatrician, right? If I tell one of my kids that they should do X, Y, and Z to help their acne, they cannot hear it because I am not speaking as their doctor. I'm speaking as their mother and they are over 12. And so often that advice just rolls right off them. Right. But if I take them to one of my closest friends in the world, who's their pediatrician, and she says it, it has all the weight of the world. So have that relationship because Sometimes there's advice that you are giving that your kids cannot hear because it's coming from you. If it comes out of the mouth of someone that you both trust, it is it lands, right? It sticks. And that is true for those of us who are not pediatricians mm-hmm. but are giving our kids advice. It's also hard for them to hear our advice. And one thing I do with my kids and kids I coach and teach and work with is I will ask them if they are open to hearing my advice thoughts, right? It sounds something like, hey, I have a thought. Are you, do you want to hear that right now? Do you want to hear what I have to say? Or I have a suggestion. Are you open to that right now? 
And sometimes they'll say yes, and sometimes they'll say no. And when they say no, if I've asked the question, I need to respect the no. Right. Um, and let them know I'm available or someone else is available when they are ready. So if we're concerned about the order of things, the timing of things, we go to our pediatricians. Yes. And let me just sort of close the loop on biologically female development mm-hmm. because there are a whole host of changes that happen in any order as girls morph into reproductively mature women, right? So yes, they grow hair, a lot of hair in a lot of different places. Their voices drop like male voices, but not quite as noticeably and not quite as deeply. Mm -hmm. But that's because hormones impact the thickness of the vocal cords. Breast development takes years, right? years. And anyone with breasts can acknowledge that breasts change constantly. So your boobs might be one size one week and they might be another size another week and that's normal. They might be two different sizes, right side, left side, and that's normal. They may be lumpy and that's annoying, but normal. They might be tender, they might be not tender, and that may change. And that constantly fluctuates with our hormone surges, their peaks, their valleys, and their shifts over a lifetime. And I just want to add that yep. it's not just biological females who develop breasts. We're going to talk puberty. about that in a second. Yeah. That is a really, really, this is so important. So we're going to, I want to just close the loop on girls because I want to then talk about boys. You know, the other things, I'm just working down the body and hitting the, the highlight list, the highlight reel. Hips will widen and then you will have skin changes, lots and lots of skin changes. Some kids will get sweaty and smelly and some kids will get zitty. They will get facial acne. They might get back acne, back knee. They might get chest back knee. They might, it's not their, chest knee. It's not their favorite. I mean, it's only my favorite because it's great branding, (laughs) not because it's any fun at all. It's such great branding. There's something that happens on the upper arms, the back of the upper arms. It's called keratosis pilaris. It means bumpy skin. Yeah. Lots of little babies have it. And then it reappears in adolescence mm-hmm. and it often stays. And all it is, is literally bumps on the skin. And there are things that you can do to minimize it, but it tends to be a little bit hormonally impacted. Mm. Um, there are some girls who, as they go through puberty, if they are carrying around extra fat tissue, mm-hmm. they will have darkening of their skin and it will happen in their armpits and it will happen at the back of their neck. Hmm. And that is also a hormonally responsive change in the skin. That, very unfortunately, that is irreversible once it happens. And so if you or your child notice that the skin in the armpits or the skin at the back of the neck is starting to darken in a noticeable way, that is definitely something to bring up with your pediatrician because you may want to look at things like diet and nutrition Mm. and start modifying some of those things in order to address what the skin is telling you, which is there may be a little excess fat here. There may be something going on in the body that is leading to increase pigment. So all of these things may or may not happen during Do you pupil. find, Cara, that acne, I sort of anecdotally had noticed that particularly in boys, it's later in puberty that I see yep. more acne and skin stuff than earlier? So we'll talk about the growth spurt and the growth spurt and the appearance of acne. Those tend to show up for the first time um, simultaneously for many kids. Not always. Some okay. kids have acne starting very early, way before the growth spurt. Some kids 
will never have a zit on their skin mm. and they will still have a growth spurt. But for boys in particular, we do tend to see either during or right after their biggest growth spurt, they have this very fulminant crop yeah. of acne and it's and it's hard. And then what we also see is when puberty is kind of done, and the question is, when is it done, right? The crops of acne continue for a lot of people. I mean, there are many, many, many kids in college and beyond who are struggling with how to manage outbreaks on their skin, mm -hmm. and they are done growing, and their their genitals are adult size, right. their boobs are adult, right. like whatever it is, you know, everything is done and fully cooked, and their skin is still really reactive and responsive. So, but puberty largely ends for biologically female people when the boobs have hit a pretty stable size, the hips have widened, the voice has settled. So all, you see all this sort of estrogenizing and and small bits of testosteroneizing effects uh, mellow out. Over and time. menstruation, I mean, we did a whole, we have a whole episode about when is she going to get her period, mm -hmm. but let's do a shorthand version in the context of this conversation. I would think of menstruation as happening, your first period, menarche, happening as it's somewhere in the middle of puberty. Mm -hmm. It is often considered like, for some people, they think it's the beginning of puberty. That's not correct. Mm. Um, and for some people, they think it's the end. Like, aha, we've reached the finish line and like, now you have a period. Period. Right. <laughs> period. End of sentence. And that is not correct either. I understand where both of those ideas come from, but um, it really falls in the middle of this whole process. And the menstruation normalizes or kind of becomes regular over oh, a period of for a some girls of years. it's from minute one right it's totally regular and for others it can take years to have a regular period so again another example of how there is no one right way through it because mm -hmm. both of those things are very normal and okay. common for boys the order of operations is very similar you do see mood swings but you have to look for them and recognize them as mood swings so for boys the moods more typically swing, quiet, and rage or anger. Mm -hmm. This is not to say that boys don't swing the same way girls swing emotionally often and that girls don't swing the way boys swing emotionally often. They do. But the more sort of typical thing you will see because of testosterone and what testosterone does in the brain is either there will be a lot of anger, a lot of frustration, a lot of pent up stuff happening that may result in something physical or quiet. And I write a lot about boy quiet. There is no study tying boy quiet to testosterone, but I mean, I'm just, I'm willing to bet the bank on it. It just, there's, there's just no study showing it yet, but we know it's sort of just like fits of giggles or the opposite of fits of, of sadness. Right. Um, so too fits of silence feel the opposite of fits of rage. And all of these things are determined by, by hormone fluctuation. And then by your temperament and your neurological wiring and your situation and, and what's happening in your home and your school and, and all the environmental influences. So boys, we do see mood shifts early on. And, and the only other thing we see early in puberty, that first step you have on the rock wall is testicular growth, which the testicles are going to need to grow for a year or two to get the machinery up and running, to get the testosterone really pumping to change everything else. And then what's the boy checklist? The biological male checklist includes, and I'm just going to go top to bottom. Yeah. So again, hair, hair everywhere, thickening of the eyebrows, mustache and beard, which come towards the end, mm -hmm. um, underarm hair, pubic hair. You've got 
vocal changes. So when will the voice crack? <laughs> I don't know. You yeah. know, and there's a really wide range. You get broadening of the shoulders. For the female body, it's broadening of the hips. Mm-hmm. For the male body, it tends to be broadening of the shoulders. Breast development, 50% of all boys have what's called gynecomastia, which is on one or both sides, they will have either a breast bud or they will develop a small breast. Mm -hmm. It is because just like females have testosterone, males have estrogen, this is normal. The breast tissue is sensitive to estrogen. And so we do see breast development in about half of all males. Most males, not all, but most feel shame yeah, about that. Absolutely. And so very that self-conscious. Is very. And so that becomes a really important thing to talk about and think about. Uh, moving down the male body with testicular growth, there's penile growth. And um, there's a lot of conversation around that. You know, there's sort of growth for some boys, their penis grows in such a way that when their penis is flaccid, it looks big. And for some boys, their penile growth happens in such a way that it's just when they have an erection, mm-hmm. it looks bigger. And so that gets complicated for boys. Yeah. My 10-year-old asked me the other day, he's like, when is my penis like going to get bigger? Yeah. And I was like, I don't know, dude. Right. I don't know. And that's at the, some point. That's the answer. Yeah. That's the answer. And so, and and of course the skin stuff, right? All the same skin stuff, you know, biological males have acne just about anywhere. They can have keratosis pilaris. They too can have this darkening of the skin, although less often because it's estrogen ruled. One of the things that you didn't mention is weight gain in kids, either in early puberty or pre-puberty. Can you talk a little bit about that? So weight gain is not part of puberty, but sort of like hair growth, it's coincident with puberty. In order to grow, you have to gain weight. There are two ways that kids, there are actually three ways that kids go through puberty and their weight fluctuates. So the most stereotypical pattern is you gain before you grow. So most 10-year-olds, for instance, if you look at a class of 10-year-old kids in school, some large number of them will have rounded out Mm -hmm. in the middle a bit. They have sort of a, a little belly, that roundness might go all the way up their trunk. They're just like, they're delicious, right? They're like the yummiest dumplings you've ever seen. They're adorable and they're so sweet and they don't like that characterization. Yeah, don't so call don't them the yummiest that. dumpling. Just think yeah. it in your own head. Yeah. Um, but that is that is this sort of last hurrah of prepubescence before they stretch and they gain and then they grow and then they gain and then they grow and they do this thing. There are kids who do the opposite. They grow, then they gain, grow, then they gain. Sometimes those kids are so skinny mm-hmm. that parents will come in and say, I'm, I'm worried right. there's something going on. Right. And of course, yes, go see your, your healthcare provider if you're worried about not having enough weight on, but that can be a really typical pattern for some kids. And by the way, yeah, I just want to interject, commenting on a kid's weight or a kid's body as a trusted adult, a loved one, a relative is not cool. Yeah. I, I would say every single word is fair game except the word weight. Yeah. You know, we should be talking about all of this with our kids, yeah. but weight is such a loaded word yes. that um, I always encourage people to talk about being healthy, healthy nutrition. When kids come to you as the parent or the trusted adult and talk to you about weight, that's fine. But as the adult 
talking to the child and proactively trying right. to help them understand how their body's going to change. Weight is so loaded that um, I really don't recommend people go there. I really don't recommend people have scales in their home. I, if you have one, I would put it away or throw it Hide away. Hide it. Yeah. Hide it's, it's it. It's just not Because they will find helpful. it. Yeah. They will find it and yeah. they will weigh themselves and then they're going to compare to what their friends have told and, them. And there's this thing that happens at the 100-pound mark mm-hmm. that's really interesting, particularly for females, which is that, you, you know, very few females end up having an adult weight below 100 pounds that's a, an appropriate adult weight that's good and healthy for their body. So the vast, vast majority of females are going to pass into the three-digit territory. And it is psychologically enormous when that happens. Likewise, for males, they tend to want to have a little more weight. Yeah right? They want to be fit. Uh, Now, there is this, what I was going to say about, I was just going to say the third way to go through puberty is that you're carrying extra weight going Mm -hmm. into puberty. And it would be wrong for us not to have this conversation and talk about obesity in this country. Obesity is a huge issue in this country. We have very nutritionally dense food, meaning one bite, tons of calories, sugar, salt, fat, which is not bad for you, by the way, in food, but all this stuff packed into very, very, very tiny volumes of food and people eating larger and larger volumes of food has, and those are the cheapest foods or the highly processed foods, which tend to be the most calorie dense. That translates into an epidemic of overweight and obesity in this country that we must solve. We must solve because the long-term health issues are devastating. There are an enormous number of kids who are coming into puberty having too much body weight and handling that, threading that needle is really tricky because what we want is for kids to grow into their weight and to be healthy, not just to feel good about themselves, but actually to be healthy, to not carry risks for type 2 diabetes, and all sorts of long-term issues that are related to excess weight. My very, very, very strong advice is that parents have conversations like this with their healthcare providers Mm -hmm. first, understand if there's an issue, if there's an issue, how you can solve the issue. Let the healthcare provider start the conversation with your kid because generally healthcare providers are trained to talk to kids about health and not weight. This is a marathon, not a sprint. You don't have to fix anything overnight. But many kids, especially at the front of puberty, when given the opportunity, will want to make better food choices. So I just want to counter that by saying a few things. One... We're recording this episode coming out of the tail end or at least a rest moment in a pandemic. And many people coped, adults and kids alike, by eating delicious calorie-dense foods, which caused many of us, including myself, to gain weight. And I've spoken to a bunch of doctors and eating disorder specialists who say, you know what? That's actually a pretty good way to have cope through a pandemic. And like, it's okay. Yeah, it it, it feels like crappy that your clothes don't fit. But 
it's okay. And for many kids, as their lifestyles resume, they will kind of naturally regain the healthier eating, regain uh, greater activity, their sports, their, you know, recess, all of those things. So kind of like when a kid breaks a bone and you say to the doctor, what's the physical therapy after this? And they'll say to you, their life is the physical therapy after this. So too is like kind of regaining I like that. Healthy That's habits. a great analogy. So I want to say that. I also want to say as someone who was a kid who grew out before she grew up, as a kid who was put on a diet in those years before I got taller and or while I got taller before I began menstruating, discussing my weight in the doctor's office, out of the doctor's office carries a tremendous trauma for Mm, me. Yeah. And someone recently taught me, actually Una Hansen, who works with parents um, who have children with eating disorders, said, you know, it's your right. Your kid has to be weighed at the pediatrician's office, but they don't need to be told what their weight is. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to discuss with the pediatrician in front of your child, what's going on with your child. That is such good advice. In in my office, over the years, I moved to a system where I just weighed everyone facing away from oh, the number. Oh, I love that. Because the number is so charged. Yes. Right? And it's, again, I hate this word, but it's triggering for, it for is. so many people. It is. And so these are real issues and weight impacts puberty. There's a lot of research about this. Girls who carry extra weight will often go into puberty a little bit earlier, Mm -hmm. but not necessarily boys. And there is a physiologic reason for that. And just go with me here, which is when we carry extra weight, um, what we do is we have more and more adipose tissue, fat tissue. That fat tissue has an incredible ability to convert hormones from one form into another. So interesting. It's so interesting. And it essentially has an estrogenizing effect on the body. In in male and female. Yes. And so if the primary hormone driving female puberty is estrogen and you have extra fat tissue, so you're starting at a higher, essentially a higher baseline level of estrogen to begin with, it doesn't take much more estrogen to tip you into puberty. Mm -hmm. If your primary hormone driver for puberty is testosterone, which is for males, testosterone and estrogen are sort of seesaws, right? They they sort of counter each other, Mm -hmm. not entirely. That's a over, over, oversimplification. But if you have higher estrogen levels in your fat tissues, there is actually, and some data bears this out, there is a sort of a counter effect where the testosterone has to hit higher levels before you see a tip into some more physical signs of puberty. So this explains a little bit why um, we see differences in the data between girls who have high body mass indices Mm -hmm. developing earlier, but boys who have high body mass indices developing later. One other thing that gets confusing when kids carry extra weight is is it breast tissue right. or is it fat? Right, right. And you can really only tell when you examine the breast sometimes. Because and, it will have the breast butt yes. under the nipple. Right. And by the way, parents don't examine your kids. No. Even I didn't examine my kids. Right. right? Even though you desperately wanted to. <laughs> oh my God. So right. badly so many times. Right. You know, it's a it's a long story, the path through puberty. And I just want to make a point about 
thin kids, skinny kids, because people assume, because we have a culture obsessed with thinness, Yep. people assume that kids who are thin are happy about it, that they want to be praised about it, that they want you to notice and comment it. And just as we don't want people to comment on kids who have gained weight, kids who are thin do not want you to comment or praise them for being thin. For kids who are not eating disordered and thin, which is a really important distinction. Right. Because we do have to take eating disorders out of this conversation and we can talk about them another time. Absolutely. Um, but that is correct. And and this is true for boys and for girls. Both. But I've heard from parents of kids sure. of all genders who say people assume it mm-hmm. makes it's a compliment. And for, it's not. And it's not. And, and it's for not. boys, it can be particularly difficult. Because it's not the goal. It's not the goal. It's not the goal. So for girls, it's complicating. Um, And I've talked to many girls who are very, very thin, and that's just how they're built. And they have all of these mixed feelings because society praises it, and yet they don't look nearly as developed often as their peers. And so there's all this sort of mixed messaging mm-hmm. there. For boys, the messaging is quite quite a bit clearer, yeah. which is it's not the goal. And that is that is really tricky for those string bean boys. Right. The goal is to get big. Yeah. The goal is to get fit. The yeah. goal is to and get strong. And we can strong. do a whole episode on the things boys will do to reach those milestones and how to talk to your sons and daughters about what not to do to yeah. reach those milestones. I mean, that is a really version of disordered eating just as as restriction or binging or anything. Totally. Is. And you talk about that, that in Decoding Boys, which is a really important chapter in the book. Thank you. Um, so we've looked at kind of the order of operations or the disorder of mm-hmm. operations is probably what we should call it. <laughs> and some of the signs and some of the kind of like booby traps, pun <laughs> intended. When does it end? Like what, where's the timing, the speed? So we talked a little bit about what it looks like in the female body to end, which is everything's at kind of a baseline level, knowing that everything, especially boob size, fluctuates a lot um, forever. But still now, still. I'm for almost 45 and they're still fluctuating. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just amazing. And then when, when, when we talk about, when I talk about it publicly, people look at me and go, oh, for everyone? I thought it was just for me. So it's everyone. Boy puberty, the end point similarly is, you know, the the shoulders are where they're going to be and they've they've landed in their broad area. The lean body muscle mass has increased relative to body fat. Um, now, diet changes all that over right, time. Right. But um, once once you have this predominance of lean body mass and, and it sort of hits its level, that piece is done. The voice is not going to endlessly drop. So, you know, when it hits its octave and settles out there. And that's going like this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, then that part is done. You know, acne we've talked about is often going to occur. Right. Um, Growth is a huge issue for in height. kids. Yes, height is a huge issue for kids and their parents alike. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is, it is entangled with the puberty process, but it is separate. So in girls, most girls will stop growing two years after a regular period begins. So not the first time yeah. she gets her period. I'm going to say it again. Yeah. You have to get your period regularly 
for two years, which means every three to five weeks, okay, regularly for two years before you are at your adult female height. Now, there's going to be someone listening who says, there are going to be a lot of people listening who say, well, my doctor did a bone age. And I'll explain what a bone age is Mm -hmm. in a second. And I know my daughter's done growing and she has not had a regular period for two years. Or my daughter was put on oral contraceptive pills in order to regulate her hormones for any number of reasons and can be very, very appropriate Mm -hmm. to do that. So how will I ever know when she gets Mm -hmm. a regular period? These are really good questions. A bone age is a hand and wrist x-ray that looks at the growth plates in the bones of the hand and wrists and can basically predict when someone is done growing. When are those growth plates closed? Not everyone has a bone age. Not everyone should get a bone age. My children did not get bone ages. I did no, not run out and get mine. them. But what we have found using bone age data is that after two years of a regular period, the effect of the female hormones on the growth plates is that they eventually help seal and close the growth plates. Boys do not have the same hormonal impact, right? They have different hormonal milieu, as Mm. we like to say. They also have a much later growth spurt than girls. And when they grow, they grow more in their growth spurt typically. So girls... All of our kids, it's about two inches a year, every year. Then they hit their growth spurt. For girls, it's two to three inches a year, and it lasts two to three years. Mm -hmm. For boys, it's three to four inches a year, and it can last two to four years. Okay. So if you've got a boy who's growing four inches a year for four years, that's 16 inches. Mm -hmm. That's a foot and a third, right? That's a lot of growth right. in a growth spurt. Right. That's that's a lot of growth. And by the way, growth spurts make you tired and you grow when you sleep, which is why kids who are in a growth spurt cannot seem to wake up in the morning right. and get going. Right. And that is why they're we not tell just them being pains in the asses. They are, but they are also <laughs> growing. Um, so that's a that's a really big difference. It's a really charged thing, especially for later blooming boys, because not only are they not doing that three to four inches when all of their friends are. Right, But their growth decelerates before they go into puberty. So the later blooming boys, Mm. the data shows that instead of growing two inches a year every year, for the couple of years before they go into puberty, they might grow a half an inch or one inch. And we're going to do a whole episode on late bloomers. And we'll go into more depth But there's a freak out Mm -hmm. by the boys and the parents alike, which is not unwarranted because they see growth and puberty as very, very connected. You know, when I was in college, I remember one morning that I woke up and my head hit the shower head. Mm. And I grew, I grew almost three inches in college. Wow. I had had my period regularly for way more than two years. Yeah, yeah. So I always say to people... I'm one walking example of how my body didn't read the book. Right. Your body's going to do what your body's going to do. Right. We all have or are exceptions and that's and that's okay. That's right. But again, if you're concerned, use that's your right. pediatrician. That's what he or she is there for. Yes. So I want to close on this disorder of operations with a practical puberty takeaway. I'm going to go first so go that you it. don't take mine. Okay. Then I'm not going to be able to You always take mine. Go. I always take yours. Please talk with your kids about the proper 
names, anatomical names for their genitals and for their reproductive organs. And if you yourself aren't sure or don't know, do it along with them. They will crack up and they will love it. And you will all have the information that you need. It's a miracle you didn't take mine. I didn't take yours. What's yours? You didn't take mine. (laughs) Mine is that I hope you feel more comfortable as a parent or a trusted adult that there is no one path, no one normal through puberty. That said, it is really challenging to articulate to a tween or a teen Mm -hmm. that they are normal because they don't always want to hear that. Right. And it is equally challenging to articulate that what is happening to them is not abnormal. Mm -hmm. So if you've got a kid who responds to the word normal, great. Use it. Lean into it. All of this is normal. Right. Any version is normal. But if you've got a kid who's allergic to that word, find other language to reassure him or her that what their body is doing is A-okay. And it's when all you're good. not sure, go see your doctor. Yep. And look up thesaurus.com for <laughs> synonyms to normal. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. You can follow us anywhere you get your podcasts or check out our Instagram at The Puberty Podcast. If you have questions or stories to share, email us at thepubertypodcast at gmail.com. And for more puberty info, check out myoomla.com or dynamogirl.com. Bye. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com